So the crown of thorns there on the coffee table, um, I got it in Jerusalem. Um, of course, I don't think they know the exact type of thorny bush that was used to make a crown for Jesus. Um, but that's one of, I mean, this is a plant that comes from Israel area, and so maybe it was something like that. Um, and we're, that's, it talks about that tonight, so that's why I set it out there. Again, just as a reminder, hey, these, like this, or, this really happened. These are real things. Just, I have, maybe I have to remind myself that, but um, these are real events, real place. So, um, what we just came out of last week was seeing uh, Judas, a disciple and a friend of Jesus, kind of, had just betrayed Jesus and delivered him over to the chief priest for 30 pieces of silver. All the disciples have left Jesus and fled, it says. The high priest, uh, Caiaphas, has determined in his mind that Jesus is a blasphemer. And Peter has denied knowing Jesus. So that was kind of the summary of the events that we looked at recently. Um, so we're going to just start right into Matthew 27 here. Um, so in verse 1, it says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Or kind of, hey, that's your problem, not ours. The NIV says something like, hey, that's your responsibility. Yeah. Verse 5, and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. Um, Deuteronomy 23 kind of talks about money that you can take into the tabernacle, the temple, um, and it, it's interesting, like of all the sneaky things that it seems like these religious leaders are doing and arresting Jesus by stealth and all these things, they're still like focused in on this, um, on the letter of the law and some of these things. Um, so verse seven, they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field, I guess a commonly known field in the day as a burial place for strangers Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day, to the time of Matthew's writing. Uh, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and this is, this is a quote, um, there's a couple places that Jeremiah talks about this, and he's kind of using the language of um, Zechariah 11, uh, seems to be merging these two together, saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So again, as I pointed out, or we've pointed out many times in the book of Matthew, like everything is happening according to the plan of God as spoken by the prophets. Exactly as God had planned. 
so we're going to talk here about Pilate. He, he was put in control by uh, Tiberius Caesar and wasn't exactly like, he didn't have like this real desirable position. Like the, the area of Judea was kind of like in the Romans' mind just a troublesome people, these Jews. And just they kind of put somebody like Pilate in charge just to keep them under control, keep them quiet, just try not to have them cause any more ruckus than they want to, you know, just that kind of thing. So Pilate is, is in charge of that area. He's the governor. And so we read on to Matthew, or verse 11 here. We're in Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now Jesus is, he says um, this answer to, Are you the king of the Jews? He says, You have said so. And it's just like he said that a couple of other times. He said it to the chief priests when they're like, Are you the... Uh, the Christ, the Son of God, something like that, and Jesus answers with you have said so, which seems a, a little peculiar. Um, but I don't know if you guys have noticed, but as we've read through Matthew, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't tend to like go through public places just declaring out loud, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, I'm the King, you should bow down to me. Like He's not publicly making these, um, these types of claims demanding that people would worship him as King. And Interestingly enough, though, people are asking him these questions because they're associating him with that type of role, king or messiah. Um, he, he's fitting kind of the mold of some of that by fulfilling some scripture, by the miracles that he's doing. And so people are, ironically, as they're asking Jesus these questions, they're kind of testifying to the truths about who Jesus is, and Jesus doesn't even really have to say anything about it. I think that's kind of some of the idea behind you have said so. Their accusations towards him are showing that he just kind of fits the mold. Like, what are you so worried about? Um, it, it's like they're saying, you know, Jesus, like, what do you think you're doing? Like, doing all these, all these crazy things, all these great things, and making all these claims and stuff. Do you think you're the Messiah or something? And Jesus is like, Hey, it's you. You're saying so. Like in that, it's like if um, if Randy was working out and uh, like benching four fifty or whatever Randy benches. Um, Sorry. <laughs> and someone walks up to Randy and says, "Well, what do you what do you think you are? You're all. Do you think you're all strong and buff?" And it's like Randy could respond, "Hey." Like, you're saying that. You're watching me as I'm doing this, and you're asking this question kind of just showing just evidence of what you've seen. Like, you have said so, right? Like, I don't have to say anything because you're, you're saying it yourself. You said it, not me. It just, I think it's that sort of thing. And then, um, if you notice, Pilate's question to Jesus about, are you the king of the Jews, is different than what the chief priests asked of Jesus, what we looked at last week. In chapter 26, verse 63, the high priest says to Jesus, Tell us if you are the Christ, or Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answers, You have said so. So it's the Christ, the Son of God. Pilate asks him, Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus says, You have said so. Is it, so it's, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? Are you the King of Jews? One is more of a religious question, and one's more of a political question. 
And that's not a mistake in Matthew's writing. In fact, if you turn to Luke 22, you should turn there for a second. Like Luke kind of sheds some light on on what's going on here with the Sanhedrin um, who are bringing these charges against Jesus. So Luke 22, uh, 66 um, says, When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, um, verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. So they're asking him, are you Messiah? But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. Skip down to verse 70. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And then the very next verse, Listen to the switch here. Then that whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate and then began to accuse him. Now listen to the accusations here that they're accusing him of. It's not that he's Messiah necessarily, son of God. But they say to Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And then Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? The thing that Pilate cares about is, are you, do you think that you're a king? Because that would be a potential threat to Pilate. So you can kind of see... Um, what the what the Sanhedrin are are doing um, in in trying to accuse whatever it's going to take to get the result mm-hmm. that they want with Jesus, mm-hmm. basically. Even though in their mind it's one thing that that's bothering them, uh, but they're going to present to Pilate kind of um, whatever it takes. So also in John, uh, John points out that. Um, they say, hey, if you release this man to Pilate, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So um, actually, the Jews and those religious leaders would like probably nothing more than for somebody to overthrow Caesar and Pilate and everybody else, but that's just what they're kind of using, it seems, to mm-hmm. get Pilate to be against him. So somehow the, the, the night before what we read today, the story is Jesus is a blasphemer, and now before Pilate, it's Jesus is a usurper or a rebel or whatever. Um, also, interestingly, both of these things Jesus is kind of being asked about and accused of, Messiah and King, he is actually both of those things. We know, looking back, but um, that's what they're trying to have against him. So at the end of that section we read, verse uh, 14 says that the governor, since Jesus wasn't answering all these charges, the governor was greatly amazed, it says. What do you guys think? Like, why, why might Pilate be so amazed at Jesus' response or lack of a response to these accusations? Because I think, when you think of someone being accused of that, you think about like a rebel. And so you think of someone that's maybe out of control or will just speak his mind, and Jesus seems fairly unrebel like probably to him. Yeah, maybe, yeah. He's also kind of, in a, in a way, signing his own death. It, it, he's not even defending himself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you must be guilty of... Mm-hmm. Of you know, it's if if you accuse someone of something that they're going to die for, it's odd that they're like, no, 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 I I didn't do it. Whether they 
did whatever they're accusing or not, but he's kind of just like giving up in a way or like giving into the inevitable. Yeah. Which like for some kind of harsh Roman punishment, like usually I would expect usually people are going to be making up everything they can to try to get out of it. Um, one commentator says that Jesus's silence testifies mutely to his willingness to suffer as a ransom for many. So his silence testifies mutely to his willingness to suffer as a ransom for many. I thought that was um, cool. And maybe what's going on with Pilate. Is there also um, a uh, proverb, or not proverb, uh, mm-hmm. back in prophecy. Isaiah, prophecy in Isaiah where it says he didn't open his mouth? Yeah. So it's a fulfillment? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good catch. That's definitely what's going on. All right, verse 15 says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Notorious, by the way, like to us that sounds like Barabbas was a villain. Um, but the word, and I think maybe NIV says well-known. Does it have that? Um, like it, it, can, it can mean something good or bad. It's just somebody's very well known for something that they've done. Now to Rome, Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist, he's notorious for that. Maybe to the Jews, that wasn't so bad and they could look up to him for that. But, um, but it's not necessarily a, a negative thing, even though our word notorious in our English, trans- a lot of the English translations kind of makes it seem especially negative. And then prisoner, that's all basically that Matthew says about Barabbas. Um, and the other gospel writers give some more information on that. Mark and Luke mentioned that he was in prison for insurrection or like this violent uprising against the government basically that had happened recently and for murder. Um, those writers let us in on and We'll talk a little bit more about uh, Barabbas and what he was accused of a little bit later. Um, but based on... Uh, this, well, let's keep reading. And they had had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on his judgment seat, his wife said, sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Like in those few sentences that we just read, it reveals why the chief priests and elders delivered Jesus up to Pilate. Like why, why did they do that? Is it because Jesus was guilty of something? Look at verse 18. Envy. Yeah, Pilate knew that it was out of envy mm-hmm. that they had delivered him up. 
So that's like the real reason that these religious leaders had given Jesus up to Pilate was out of envy. We've talked about kind of the Pharisees and, 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 and what they were like and the chief priests and all of these religious leaders. And um, we know that they loved, I mean, even our word Pharisee, right? They, they loved popularity. And Jesus was a threat, it seems, to their popularity. In Matthew 23, we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus says, he says, speaking of the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Like, they just love the popularity. Uh, but Jesus was teaching, the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Now, Pilate is not a dumb man, and he was probably familiar with the rising popularity of Jesus. Maybe he heard about the way that Jesus had entered into the city a few days before. He also wasn't ignorant to the fact that many of the Jews weren't loyal at all to Rome. So their motivation, trying to plug Jesus to, to Pilate as this, um, as this one who is claiming to be a king, um, Pilate can kind of look at that and realize you're, you're not really concerned about that. Like actually, like I said before, the, the, the Jews actually would, would desire to have somebody besides Pilate or somebody besides Caesar or whoever it is in control. Like they, they actually want that. So he would be thinking, well, this doesn't make sense that you're presenting like Jesus as a threat. Yes, that would be a threat to me, but why are you interested in that? So he's kind of seeing past all of the guff that they're, presenting to them, and he seems to notice that they're doing uh, some of these things and making these accusations out of envy. Like, you're not really concerned that Jesus is going to cause an uprising. You just don't like the way that he threatens your popularity. So he offers up Barabbas, who's a known insurrectionist, um, and the crowd says, crucify him. About Jesus, they choose Jesus. So to be crucified. So who is who is this crowd? I don't, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but I don't know if y'all have ever thought it's strange that we have this crowd who, like, didn't didn't they like Jesus? Like, hadn't Jesus done a bunch of really great things and healed people, and wasn't he, like, generally a well-respected rabbi, and people just liked some of the things that he was doing? And now, all of a sudden, they're, like, turning on him, and, like, what exactly is going on here? I think there's a few things... Um, that maybe contribute to what's going on. Uh, first of all, Jesus had done a lot of his ministry in Galilee, which is like miles away. And uh, some of what he had done in Jerusalem was like, like Randy taught a few weeks ago, was kind of stirring and causing uh, trouble to the religious uh, people there. Um, and it may be a, a bit different crowd than those who were welcoming him into Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure. But if you can imagine this, that the, these Jews who were so desiring for hundreds of years a Messiah to come, and then they catch wind of this Jesus guy, like maybe he's potentially the Messiah, like maybe they're asking these questions like the disciples did, and now they're seeing Jesus stand before them bound, and he's already been beaten up a little, and so you can imagine like some of their feeling like, 
this Jesus who had potential to be the Messiah, he's a disappointment. Now we're, we've lost hope again that the Messiah um, would, is, is even here potentially in Jesus. And then, not to mention that, but you have the chief priests and the, the elders who are like circulating maybe through the crowd just saying, and this guy's a blasphemer. So there's this big, potentially this letdown about um, who Jesus is. So we have Pilate who wants, it seems, wants Jesus to go free because he can't find anything wrong with Jesus. We have the Sanhedrin who want Barabbas to go free because they don't like Jesus. And even if that crowd, some of the crowd had liked Jesus, like I said earlier, some of that crowd may have even liked Barabbas because he was like a guy that fights against Rome. And so basically, like a, another, a commentator put it, the crowd's deciding between Pilate's choice, Roman Pilate's choice, and the Jewish leader's choice. So, like, who are they going to side with in this? They don't like Rome and its government and leaders. So they're just they're going to go with what the religious leaders are, are telling them to do. It's no surprise that they're saying, hey, free uh, Barabbas. So having no basis for... Um, or, or having found no wrongdoing in Jesus, the crowd asked for Jesus to be crucified. And notice in verse 23, like they don't even they don't even give an answer to why to Pilate's question, what evil has he done? They just shout all the more, let him be crucified. Like it's just whatever. It's just it's this frenzy it sounds, and you know there's just this religious fervor around Passover, and there's thoughts of Messiah, and there's hatred for Roman oppression and all these different things come up and they're just like just crucifying it doesn't, it doesn't matter that there's no clear evidence it seems um, that Jesus is innocent so, or that Jesus is guilty so uh, verse 24 says when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing remember his, his whole goal that he was set up as the governor for was just to kind of keep Jerusalem and Judea kind of under control like just keep these crazies quiet. So is he trying to offer up Jesus as like the peaceful revolutionary versus the violent? Was Pilate? Yeah, was that a motivation for Pilate? Um, as in he preferred that Jesus be released? Definitely, like as I read this, I, what, I don't know about you all, but definitely it seems like Pilate's choice is that Jesus would be released. I mean, Barabbas is this, well, again, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but he's this guy that's been a part, a, a very clear part of murder and insurrection and all these other things. Um, so probably the last guy Pilate wants to release out is this Barabbas, um, because who knows what he could do in the future. Where Jesus, it just seems like, well, he's just got, he's maybe saying some crazy things, but... Um, but yeah, does that answer? Yeah. So verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, which he doesn't want, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Which is just like a kind of, a, more of a Jewish ceremonial way to say, hey, I don't have, I don't have anything to do with this. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. 
uh, Matthew or the other gospel writers don't go into a lot of detail about scourging, um, like the maybe the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie kind of spend a lot of time on that. Um, I'm not sure, like, why. I mean, it's just like a passing comment. Having scourged Jesus, then he was you know, delivered to be crucified. Um, but just to um, give a brief description of that, you guys may know this, but it was basically a beating or a whipping. Um, the whip was, this is just from a, the Expositor's Bible Commentary. The whip was the dreaded, it's called flagellum, flagellum, made by plating pieces of bone or lead into leather thongs, like a whip with a bunch of shards in it. The victim was stripped and tied to a post. Severe flogging not only reduced the flesh to bloody pulp, but could open up the body until the bones were visible and the entrails exposed. Flogging as an independent punishment not infrequently ended in death. So it oftentimes actually killed them, but it was also used to weaken the prisoner before crucifixion. So that happens to Jesus in like a few words there for Matthew, and then he's delivered uh, delivers him to be crucified. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, which is up to 600 people, Roman soldiers, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns, maybe similar to the one it showed on the coffee table there. And they put put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand or like a stick that was, would be a mocking way to be like a leader's scepter that's like decorated and would symbolize like his sovereignty and whatnot. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And the, there's an imperfect tense of that word struck, which may mean that like struck him repeatedly like it's an ongoing thing on the head which he has this crown of thorns on his head so you can imagine that and when they had mocked him they stripped him of the robe and put on put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him again to compare to um something we looked at last week. The Jews um, had mocked Jesus as Messiah. It says in chapter 26, they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, remember he's blindfold, prophesy to us, Christ, who is it that struck you? Like, you should know these things if you're the son of God. But the Romans are mocking Jesus as king, kneeling before him, they say, hail the king of the Jews. So there's some different reasons that they're against Jesus. And again, Jesus is actually both of those things, the Messiah and a king. So, y'all, there's like so much going on in these events, and I was struggling through like trying to narrow down, hey, what can we walk away with in this familiar, to many of us, familiar story? Like, what can we talk about? And I think there's, I always notice all this irony that's happening, how the Jews see Jesus as a blasphemer, the, the religious leaders do, and he, but he actually is the son of God, and the irony that Pilate and this Roman battalion, they're mocking Jesus as king when he actually is the king, and 
people are coming to all these conclusions about who Jesus is that Jesus doesn't even really have to verbalize and he just keeps saying, you have said so, you have said so. Or we could like talk about the physical pain that Jesus endured, this scourging and this beating. Again, that doesn't seem to be um, the focus of, of this little portion here that we looked at tonight. Um, we've also talked about how like this this is the plan happening as Jesus predicted, as God planned. Um, if you turn to Matthew 20 real quick, this is um, super interesting. This is like, um, oh, I don't know how long before, but definitely before the events that we're reading tonight, Matthew 20, if you look at verse um, 18, this is the third time Jesus has talked about his death. Matthew 20, 18, it says this. This is like Jesus saying, here's what's going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. That's what Judas kind of helped in. That's happened. They will condemn him to death. That's happened. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles and Pilate to be mocked. Yeah, that's happened. Flogged. Yep, that's happened. And crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. Those are the two things left. But like Jesus has said, here's exactly what's going to happen. So everything's unfolding. So I feel like that's a... that's. Uh, important for us to recognize. Um, so maybe if anything, uh, here's here's something that we could walk away with. What time do you all have? 8.59. Okay. Wow. So Jesus had done no wrong. That's a super important question that Pilate asks. Like, what wrong, what evil has he done? And there's no answer for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's important. So the question becomes, and I think we're seeing an answer to, how will people respond, different people respond to the innocent blood of Jesus? And we have these different reactions, but everybody's trying to decide what do we do with this thing that deep down, a lot of people probably know there's 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 no good uh, founded reasons for this man to die. He's innocent. So... Um, a couple of those, or a few of those things that we see are the Jewish leaders who also kind of um, rally the crowds together, and their, their response to that is just to kind of denounce Jesus. They, they say, this guy's um, a nutcase, he's evil, he's speaking wrong, and basically, like, when they say, the, his blood be on us and our children, it's like, hey, well, this guy is not right, we'll even take, you know, whatever judgment comes to us by saying that, or hey, like, you guys might know people like this that are just like, they believe so strongly, um, or, or they're so um, just against who Jesus is, and don't desire that so much, that they just, they're like, hey, well, okay, if, if what you believe is true, they might tell a Christian, then I'll just go to hell, let's just find, okay, I'll go to hell, whatever, you know, kind of that um, type of attitude, like this, this obstinate, um, I'm going to stand behind my actions and I disagree with Jesus, just kind of denouncing. Um, another reaction is Pilate, who kind of disregards Jesus or dismisses Jesus, right? And he tries to make it look like he's innocent of this man's blood, he says. Um, he's like, hey, I don't have to choose. It's kind of one of those things, I don't know if you all hear this, I'm sure you do often. Um, 
like, hey, it's it, do whatever you want. Whatever is right for you, like you figure out what you want to do is kind of pilot stance, and I'm just going to try to keep out of it and not, not make a determination um, about these things, kind of dis, disregard or dismissal. Even as he's kind of fulfilling what his wife told him, have nothing to do with them. He's trying to just say, I don't want to have to deal with it. Um, or you could be, um, you might see people who are deriding Jesus. They're trying to figure out what do we do with him? Well, we can just mock him. And we can um, say, Hail, King of the Jews. These, I think, are similar to people that we would see in this day who just think following Jesus is. is Laughable, and they kind of make fun of it, and, or it's at least insignificant. Like, like they just treat it as a light thing and kind of make fun of it, and whatever. Or another thing you can do with the innocent blood of Jesus is despair. That is what Judas kind of demonstrates. Um, maybe he's feeling like I, I just can't be forgiven for the awful things that I've done. Um, we had you know some conversation about that, but he's despairing and so he kills himself he's lost all hope maybe I'll know people like that like there's some recognition of yep I'm screwed up I've done wrong but there's no um, there seems to be no hope out of that um, or, and maybe I should like ask you all to consider I don't know everyone but like when you consider Jesus like what do you do with the idea of his innocent blood being shed? Like, do you just denounce him? Do you disregard him? Do you deride him? Or maybe despair? And I was looking through this, just like this passage, hoping to try to find one person who's kind of responding rightly. And besides the little bit we said that we saw in Judas and the little bit maybe we saw in the uh, wife of Pilate, there's not a person who is responding correctly or rightly to what's happening. And I think Matthew is trying to make that point because listen to the absolutes that he speaks in about all of the people. Matthew 26, 56 says, all the disciples left him and fled. Matthew 27, 1, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him together. So the disciples, the religious leaders, Matthew 27, verse 25. All the people, the crowds, answered, His blood be on us and our children. And in verse 22, they all said, Let him be crucified. Um, so all of the crowds. And then in verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. Like all these absolutes, like all of these people together, everyone, all the Romans, all the Jews, all the crowds, all the leaders, all the disciples, everyone is responding wrongly to this innocent blood of Jesus that would be shed. And they all have their kind of different ways that they're responding. Some are denouncing, some are disregarding, some are deriding, some are despairing, but they're all leaving Jesus, the only one who's innocent in the story, deserted. And I think it goes along with, uh, with one of the main teachings that I've been growing to learn. I wish I would have kind of caught on in the beginning of our study, but in, in the book of Matthew um, as a whole, I think a, a really important thing happens in chapter 19 that I want to draw your attention back to. Um, in chapter 19, starting in verse 16, and this is, I'm kind of wrapping it up. So, um, 
and just think with me about this. It, it kind of will take a minute to lock in. But this is after Jesus has already in the Sermon on the Mount said, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, which sounds impossible. Um, so this story, uh, Matthew nineteen sixteen says, Behold, a man came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, Jesus had uncovered the one thing, it seems, that in this man's life that kind of trumped his ability to be perfect, as he thought. For him it was wealth. And Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Can a camel fit through the eye of a needle? No, it's impossible. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus, if you have found a hole in this really good guy's system of works, then who can be saved? We've all got our stuff, every one of us. We've all got these things that will kind of bump Jesus out of the way at times in our life. We've seen those in the lives of these recent people in the story of, of that Matthew's writing, fear gets in the way of Peter and the disciples. Money gets in the way of Judas. Envy gets in the way of the Sanhedrin. Control seems to get in the way of Pilate. The crowds are going along with popular opinion. All these different things. And I would argue that all of us have the potential to sell out to something. It's impossible for us to do the good deeds needed to have eternal life. It's impossible for us to be perfect. And we see in this story today that no one responds Perfectly to the fact that Jesus' innocent blood was shed. But then verse 26 in that chapter 19, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this, or entering the kingdom, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. And we'll see in the last couple weeks of our study of Matthew how God, Jesus, makes eternal life possible. And no one else can do it. You're not going to find any hero in this story except Jesus. And Matthew's making that crystal clear. Now I want to end um, just briefly by looking back at Barabbas because something really interesting is going on. Maybe the person that we are most like is Barabbas. Um, I think Barabbas is supposed to, in a way, kind of be a picture of, of us or mankind of us um, who believe that Barabbas wasn't, didn't, doesn't say anything about him believing. But there's some really interesting connections uh, between Jesus and Barabbas. Now, I don't know um, if any of your all's translations uh, say this, but some 
Some ancient manuscripts include before Barabbas's name Jesus. It says Jesus Barabbas, like a fuller name or a, um, a uh, informal like name of Barabbas. And I don't know whether, or like some translations, I think some NIV versions, I'm not sure. Does your say Jesus Barabbas or does it just say Barabbas? It says Jesus Barabbas. Okay. So I don't, I don't think, um, or there's, there's a little bit of debate of whether or not like Matthew's autograph, what he first communicated, included Jesus Barabbas. But there's good reason to think that it was, it was understood and known maybe even if a scribe added in later in the fact that, that Barabbas maybe also went by G, like that was a, a forename of his, Jesus Barabbas. So that's, so some translations include it, some don't, some put it in a footnote, whatever, but it's decently likely that Barabbas's kind of longer name was Jesus Barabbas. So you can hear Pilate kind of asking in verse 17, whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? Or kind of, which Jesus do you want, kind of thing. Um, but beyond that, Barabbas itself means son of a father, bar Abba. Mm-hmm. And um, Jesus, like even like we've been talking about, but has, Jesus is the son of the father, right? Um, the son of a heavenly father. Or usually, Ab, usually that son of a father, bar, Barabbas, is more the idea is more of a kind of an earthly kind of father. I've come from that father, um, but there's some kind of connection going on between these two men that I can't put a finger on exactly. But I mentioned that math that Mark and Luke tell us that Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist, and the Apostle John tells us he says now Barabbas was our translations mostly say a robber. Okay, the Greek word listis, I think it is. Um, it must mean something, Barabbas is something more than just a robber, okay? Um, because it's the same word that's used of Jesus. Like if you look at um, the previous chapter in verse 55, the crowd comes to arrest Jesus and they have swords and clubs and it's this big collection of people. And Jesus says, have you come out as against a robber? That's least how Barabbas is described. So it's like, well, they're not coming out against Jesus as if he just stolen something like we think of robber. Like if there's more significant than just our kind of little word robber. Um, and in Matthew 27, 38, we'll look at next week, there's, it says, then the two robbers, Leastes, were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. So this word, whatever Barabbas was, besides a murder and an insurrectionist, or maybe it's altogether, but it's, it's something significant, and it has to do with rebellion or insurrection. Um, some translations say in John and Barabbas was a rebel. But regardless, this is what I want to share with you guys. Regardless of what exactly that word means, like what does Lysis mean? I want to point out that Barabbas is in the same exact kind of trouble as the two people who are going to be hung on crosses next to Jesus. They're both referred to as Lysis. And it seems like there were three crosses prepared that day. So who is it possible that that third cross had been prepared for? Like maybe they were part of the same rebellion that was spoken of earlier. Mm -hmm. And maybe Barabbas was the one that was supposed to be 
carrying that cross. Maybe um, Jesus carried this cross and died on the very cross potentially that was prepared for Barabbas to carry and to, to die on with these co-rebels. And so we see like this, this substitution taking place where innocent, the only innocent one, Jesus Christ, the son of the father, takes the cross that guilty Jesus Barabbas, the son of a human father, deserved. Yeah. Or Barabbas, the murderer who takes, he takes people's life and he deserves death for it. He's set free because Jesus gives his life and in a substitutionary death mm-hmm. on behalf of a person like Barabbas. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, what did Barabbas do like we're, we're, we want a hero. Like, in this, what did Barabbas do to gain that the the freedom that he experienced? Right. Nothing. I mean, he just there's no hero but Jesus, right? And I think it just ties back to what's impossible for man. God is making possible through Jesus. I, I think it, there might be just a little picture in there of a Barabbas. He, he kind of represents mankind who, on belief, goes free instead of the death that we deserve. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful for for Jesus who uh, certainly is the only one we can look to uh, in this true story um, that is perfect and not only innocent, um, but incredibly loving. And um, like it's, it's mind-blowing just how good you are to us, God, and how many different ways we can reject you and, and turn our back on you, and how many different ways we've said, like the... Pharisees and like Pilate, hey, you're you're not the type of person that we want. In in, in so many different ways, Lord, we uh, we do that. Even now, when we believe, we we falter in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lord, I thank you that our requirement isn't to then be perfect in and of ourselves, because we definitely, definitely will uh, fail in that endeavor. And we have no hope to enter the kingdom of heaven on our own doing. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I'm so thankful, God, for uh, giving us Jesus, who, who was perfect, who we can um, connect ourselves with and receive forgiveness and a, a substitutionary death uh, was, was taken for us penalty was paid for us through Jesus and all um, it seems because you loved us, you loved your creation, you love us and um, and it was in your good will and pleasure to do so. So we thank you for it Lord I pray that we wouldn't think about these uh, events as uh, a fairy tale or as something that's distant and irrelevant even to us who have believed for some time uh, but that we would constantly be thankful and amazed at this incredible, incredible story that is so full of beauty and 
Uh, it's, it's the most amazing story possible that you have written and you're unfolding and you're in control of. And so we just want to fall in line with where you're going and what you're doing. And we want to trust you, God. Yes. Amen. 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 All right, y'all.